Okay, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 3. And uh, before we get into the study, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, you are so worthy of our praise. You are so, Lord, deserving of all of our praise. Lord, you are holy. You're gracious and kind. And Lord, I just pray that you would just anoint this time. Lord, in spite of me, I pray that God, you would breathe life into this Bible study and that you would speak to our hearts and you would instruct us. Lord, you would correct us if correction is needed. Lord, you'd encourage us where encouragement is needed. For those of us that maybe need a touch or a word or just a glance, Lord, just to look into your eyes, Lord, would you meet us today? And would you just lift us up, Lord? Would you just be the lifter of our heads? Let us look into your face, see your glory, see your grace, Lord. So we give you this time. We pray, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would teach us. Your people are here. We're listening and we desire to obey, Lord. So we give you this time, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 3. So I've been involved in ministry formally for about 25 years. And uh, half of that time has mostly been with youth, college-age students, high school-age students. And I always tell, like, uh, high school students, I always tell the youth, if you're going to do a book report, do it on the Bible. Because it's going to be the easiest book report you ever will do in your life. Chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, God creates man. Chapter 3, man messes it all up. And then the rest of the Bible is God's plan of redemption to go after us and bring us back into a right relationship with Him. It's a guaranteed A. But here we're going to get into chapter 3 of Genesis. And I think you could argue that chapter 3 of Genesis is probably one of the most important books or important chapters of the Bible. And the reason why is if we didn't have chapter 3, we would have no idea for how the world got in the mess that we currently see it in. I mean, you would be reading um, Genesis 1 and 2, and you'd see God created everything, and at the end of his creation, he, he looked at it and he said, oh, everything is very good. And if it wasn't for chapter 3, you'd go right into chapter 4, and you'd see Cain killing Abel. You'd see people rebelling against God. And, and um, you know, you'd read about the imagination and thoughts of men's hearts was evil continually. And you'd be asking yourself, what in the world happened? I mean, everything was so good. What happened? Well, chapter 3 tells us what happened. Without it, we would be left in the dark. But chapter 3 just illuminates the history of the world. So... It gives us the explanation why we're in the condition we're in. So chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now the servant was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So we're introduced here to the serpent. Who is the serpent? Well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. The Bible actually tells us who the serpent is. Revelation 12, 9 says, so the great dragon, and that's who is being talked about here in Revelation, uh, the dragon. 
So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So here we see that the serpent is the devil. The devil, the, the word devil, it means slanderer. 34 times in the Bible we read that the devil is a slanderer. And we're also told that he's a liar. Jesus said that he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it, John 8, 44. Revelation 12, 10 tells us that he's an accuser, is an accuser. I got the hardest time with words sometimes, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, it tells us that he's an accuser. And uh, what it tells us is that he's standing before the Father day and night accusing the brethren. He's there accusing you. He's there accusing me. So what we see so far is the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. They're all the same. It's four names for the same enemy. Satan means adversary. And he is our adversary. He is our enemy. And 54 times in the New Testament, we're told that Satan is our enemy. He means to do each one of us harm. He's also known as the tempter. James tells us that uh, the temptations that we face actually come from him. Peter tells us not only is he a, the accuser, not only is he an adversary, not only is he the tempter, but Peter tells us, he warns us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. See, the enemy is just that. He's an enemy. He's looking for opportunities. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. But he's looking to destroy. He's looking to steal. He's looking to kill. Lots of people ask, well, where did the devil come from? And this is, a, I think, a good thing to be clear about and understand. If we were to ask people today, hey, what's the opposite of up? They would say down. What's the opposite of light? They would say dark. What's the opposite of good? They'd probably say evil. And then you ask them, what's the opposite of God? And most likely, most people would say the devil. But that's not true. The devil would like us to think that he's equal and opposite to God. But there's nothing that's equal to God. I love the verse 1 Samuel 2, 2, which says, No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. I mean, that's such a beautiful verse. There are two camps in the universe, right? Camp A, camp number one. It's a party of one. It's God. It's God alone. He's the creator. Camp two, everything else, his creation. There's God. He's set apart. He's holy. He's the creator. And then there's creation. And the gulf between those two is infinite. Believe me. The devil, he's an, a created being. He was a beautiful angel. And he originally joyced. At the creation of God, uh, Job tells us, 38, verses 4 through 7. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19, tells us that he was created in, 
in um, perfect in beauty and in wisdom. He was an anointed cherub. Some scholars believe that he's one of three archangels. You got Gabriel and Michael and then Lucifer. Other scholars believe because of this um, Ezekiel passage is that he was the worship leader in heaven because it speaks about the timbrels and the pipes of his. And it says in this passage, says that he was perfect in his ways from the day he was created till iniquity was found in him. Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 17, they tell us what that iniquity was that was found in him. It says, He said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation. On the farthest side of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, these are known as the five I wills of Satan. Okay. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be exalted. He wanted to be equal to God. He wanted to be worshiped as God. And that was the iniquity that was found in him. So Genesis 1, we, we read, and we see that the devil, what he does is he possesses this serpent. And we're told that the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. Now the word there for cunning, it means shrewd. It means crafty. It means clever. And this is how clever, this is how crafty the devil is. Revelation 12, 4 tells us that when he fell, he drew a third of the angels with him. So how cunning, how crafty is the devil? He's crafty enough. He's cunning enough to convince a third of the angels who saw God in the fullness of his glory that stood in the presence of God. He was cunning and crafty enough to, to convince them to follow him, to rebel against God and to follow him. I mean, this guy is crafty. This guy is a deceiver. And these angels that followed Satan, they became the demons. And they're described in the Bible as principalities, powers, rulers, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so what that verse tells us is that there's this ranking system of these demonic spirits. And you'll remember in Daniel, Daniel goes to prayer and an angel comes to him, but it took 21 days. And uh, the angel explains to him that he would have been there sooner, except that he was fighting against the prince of Persia, right? It was a demon that was uh, there over uh, Persia. So it gives us an indication that there are maybe demonic forces over certain geographical areas. Maybe there's a demonic force over Truckee. I'm sure there's one over uh, California. Um, there's certainly got to be one over the United States. But the great thing to know is that we never have to fear these guys because he that is in us is greater than he is in the world. So people will also ask, when did the devil fall? Well, we don't know exactly when the devil fell. But if you ascribe to that gap theory we talked about, Genesis chapter 1, then the devil fell between verse 2 and verse 3, if you believe that theory. If you don't hold to that theory, 
Then he probably fell sometime between uh, Genesis 1.31 and Genesis 3.1. In Genesis 1.31, remember God created everything. He sees his creation and he declares that it's all good. So we don't know exactly when the devil fell, but we know that by the time of Genesis 3.1, he's already left his first estate. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says that we should not be ignorant of his devices. And his devices are clearly seen in this chapter. And this is why this is an important chapter. So the serpent approaches the woman and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The first thing that we see here is Satan approaches Eve knowing that she's a weaker vessel. Now, please, before I get into any trouble, I want you to know that in general, okay, I believe that women are better at almost everything that doesn't require any physical strength. They're better at everything compared to men. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, exhorts us as husbands to dwell with our wives with understanding giving honor to our wives as the weaker vessel, 1 Peter 3, 7. So, of course, you know, the devil attacks men too. But the point here is that he's always looking for a weakness. He's looking for a chink in the armor so that he can attack. He's looking for an open door. He's looking for a, a cracked window so that he can attack. He's looking for an opportunity. Now, Again, remember when Jesus was, was in the desert fasting 40 days and the devil came and tempted him? And how did he tempt him? He said, hey, uh, well, I won't paraphrase it. I'll just read it. It's uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You know, what he's saying is, hey, Jesus, you know what? You hungry? You the son of God? Hey, turn the, turn the stones into like fresh baked bread. Come on. Have you ever, you know, when you're hungry, come into the house and the bed is breaking, baking, it just comes right out of the oven, throw some butter on it. I mean, it's so delicious. It was a temptation. And how did Jesus fight this temptation? Well, you know, of course, what he does is he quotes the word of God. And then in Luke 4, if you compare Matthew and Luke, we have a very insightful uh, verse, Luke chapter 4, verse 13. As Jesus is fighting the devil with the word of God, Luke 4, 13 says that the devil departed from him until an opportune time. The devil's willing to wait. He's looking for an opportune time to attack. He's studying. He's probing. He's planning. He's willing to wait until he finds a weakness in order to destroy you. We see him in Genesis here from the beginning trying to destroy marriages. I mean, Adam and Eve, they're a brand new married couple and he's trying to destroy this marriage. Next week, Lord willing, when we're in chapter four, we're gonna see him going after the family. We're gonna see him going after the kids, trying to destroy the kids. The devil is a twisted sick foe. One of the other things we see about the 
the tactics of the devil is what he does is he questions God's word. He's trying to raise doubt in the mind of Eve. He says, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Instead of coming right out and saying to Eve, hey, look, there's this tree over here, the knowledge of, of good and evil. Why don't we go over there and chit chat? You know, he doesn't do that. He's trying to raise doubt. God didn't say that he couldn't eat of any tree. God said of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but not this one. The day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. So Satan, he twists God's words by saying, did God indeed say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The NIV, it translates it this way. Other Bibles translate it this way. Did God really say that you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And, you know, the devil still uses this strategy today. Tries to get you to question the word. Did God really say that? I mean, how do you know that God really say that? Yeah, maybe he said that, but he didn't really mean it, right? Maybe you just understood it. How do you know, Eve, that it wasn't Adam that said that? This is what he's doing. He's trying to raise doubt. And this, can, this strategy the devil continues to use uh, to, this, to this day because it's effective. It's effective today and it, it just as effective today as it was way back in the garden. <clears throat> Verse 2, 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Now, as you read this, doesn't your heart just want to cry out, oh no, Eve, what are you doing talking to the devil? Where's your husband, right? Again, we see the devil's looking for a weakness. She's all alone. Do you have any idea how many people fall when they're alone? How many guys are out traveling and they're in a hotel room by themselves? And that's when the temptation comes in. I mean, it's a tactic that the devil uses all the time. When we're tempted, if we would just call, you know, our husbands or our wives, when we're tempted, if we would just call our moms, our dads, or call a Christian friend to just stand with us, we would be able to, to stand in the attack. In the midst of the attack, if we would call another Christian brother or call a Christian sister and just say, hey, you know what? I'm really going through hard times right now. The devil is really attacking right now. Would you just pray with me? You know what? That attack is going to dissipate. Listen to this verse, Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 12. You know this verse. It says, two are better than one. <clears throat> because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. 
These verses are not just about those of us that are married. It's just about the family of God, brothers and sisters standing together in the attack. When you're under attack, run for help. Get someone to pray with you. Get somebody to stand with you. Get someone to keep you accountable. Hey, that's what Jesus did. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's there before the crucifixion, and it says that he's troubled and dis deeply distressed. The attack was so great. What does Jesus do? He grabs Peter, James, and John, and he takes them, and he says, hey, guys, pray with me right now, okay? Now, <clears throat> even though they failed him, what Jesus is doing is showing us a principle that we should do when we're facing attack. Okay, and again, here, I don't want to be too hard on Eve at this time. Uh, she misquotes God's word, maybe because that's the way Adam told it to her. Okay, maybe because God told Adam and Adam told her, and because of his concern for her, he adds, don't touch it. I mean, really, it's good advice, right? We don't want to get so close to sin that we're able to reach out and touch it. We want to be, you know, a gunshot away from it. Maybe, though, she misquotes the Word of God because she doesn't have a firm grasp of the Word of God. She doesn't actually know the Word of God very well. And boy, you know how dangerous that is? You know, the alarming statistic is this. 80% of people that are in non-Christian cults like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, 80% of them came from mainline denominations. What happened is those cults sent out their missionaries and they knew their doctrine and they knew the Bible better than these people knew, knew it. And so they were able to be persuaded. They were able to be drawn away. And it's so tragic, so tragic. I mean, this is my thought. You know, the Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit. And if it is the sword of Spirit, which, of course, it is, then I want to be, you know, I want to be a masterful swordsman. You know, I want people not to want to cross swords with me because they know that I'm not a pushover. In fact, I don't even want to be a masterful swordsman. What I want to be is a Jedi Knight. I want to wield that lightsaber like nobody's business. Now, again, that's just me, but Genesis chapter 3. Boy, I, just, I don't want to leave this too quick. Just the exhortation. We need to be into the Word. We need to be men and women of the Word. God uses people that are men and women of the Word and men and women of prayer. Let's be those people. Verse 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, <laughs> You'll not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, here you see the boldness of the enemy. I mean, he comes right out and he calls God a liar. And you know the truth is this? He says, God is holding back something good from you. God doesn't want to allow you to experience these good things. He's jealous. He doesn't want you to have it. He's not that loving. 
And this goes on today, again, all around us, this is what's going on. Every time you turn on a television program where you see a couple living together, where they're glorifying some criminal activity, you see a husband cheating on his wife, you see a woman flirting with an, another man, what you're seeing is the devil telling you, hey, it's okay. God said it was bad, but it's not true. God's lying to you. It's normal, everyone's doing it. Nobody is any the worst for wear because of it. You know, he'll tell you, hey, go ahead and smoke a little pot. You know what, I mean, how bad can it be? It's legal, number one. Number two, it helps you relax. I mean, come on, how bad is that? They use it as medicine, are you against medicine? You know, how bad can it actually be? You know, he'll say, hey, listen, you know what? Your wife, she's not actually meeting uh, your needs. Your husband, you know, he's not as loving maybe as he should be. He's not meeting your needs. I mean, what's the problem with having a little fun with that woman or, or that man? I mean, it's not like you're cheating on your spouse, right? He'll say, why not move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend? I mean, you love her, right? You love them, right? I mean, why not? What could possibly be bad about that? It's love. God made love. God is love. How could it be bad? And you know what? You don't buy a car before you test drive it. You guys got to get together and make sure you're compatible. He's going to lie to us. And listen, please. Temptation is the opportunity to accomplish a good thing, but in a bad way. You know, the, what the devil said is, you know what, you do this, you're gonna be like God. Well, God, you know, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to be like the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. God's heart is to change us into the image of His Son, and we're being transformed into that same image. But it's never going to occur through disobedience to God or to God's Word. Satan said, you'll be like God. And that lie, like I said, is still around today. You know what? Every Mormon that's married in the temple thinks that he's gonna be a God and he's gonna populate an earth uh, or his own planet. He's gonna have multiple wives and keep them eternally pregnant. That's gotta be a selling point for women. But every new age believer also believes, and you know what? The next step in our evolutionary path is to be like God. And it's not true. These are lies. And they've worked in the past and they're still working today. And he's just going to continue with these lies as long as people are willing to swallow them. Verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate it. Now, here we see another tactic of the devil. He gets Eve to, you know, drop her sword, drop the word of God. And he gets her to just start thinking 
and reason through things with her own uh, understanding, her own wisdom. What she should have done, again, is use God's word to combat the attack, just like Jesus did when he was tempted. What she should have done was run to her husband and, and the two of them stand together and pray and resist. Eve probably thought, though, you know, I mean, hey, you know, the tree, it does, it does look pretty good for food. You know, it's not bad to look at. Right? It doesn't hurt the eyes. I mean, what's wrong with being wise anyway? How could that be bad? And again, it's an old trick of Satan. 1 John 2, 16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, hey, it would probably taste good. The lust of the eyes, it certainly looks good. And the pride of life, it actually would benefit me. I would be better for it is not of the Father, but is of the world. We need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. We need to not lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, all of our ways, we need to acknowledge Him. And the promise is that He'll direct our path. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. The Bible teaches us very clearly, flee youthful lusts. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And remember, isn't that what Joseph did? Potiphar's wife comes up and propositions him, says, hey, lay with me. I mean, this is our opportunity. We're alone. What does Joseph do? He flees. He runs. He's running for his life. He left his garments. He ran like his Life depended upon it. We need to flee youthful lust. We need to make no provision for the flesh. We need to run away from sin like our life depends upon it because it does. Once you start questioning God's word, you've prepared your heart to deny God's word and to believe the devil's lies. We read, she also gave to her husband, and, and he ate, right? This is a sad truth about sin. It never, ever just affects you. No one suffered the consequences of sin by themselves. It always has effect on those that you love the most. If you cheat on your wife, you know what? You're cheating on your kids. You're going to destroy them. You know, uh, a couple gets divorced, you know, their kids are less likely to have a successful marriage after that. It always has an effect. Sin always has an effect on those people that you love, whether you know it or not. Remember in the Old Testament, remember Achan, there the conquest of Jericho. God tells him, don't touch anything. Everything's to be destroyed. And Achan, he sees the gold. He sees the silver. He sees the nice clothing. And he takes it to himself, right? And when he's found out what happens, all of his family, his wife, his kids, his little boys, his little girls, they were stoned. And then they grabbed all of their stuff and they set it all on fire with them. Your sin never just affects you. It affects the whole family. It affects your kids. Those that you don't want to see hurt most are going to get hurt. 
It affects the church. Make no mistake about it. Read Numbers chapter 16. Remember, uh, Korah and Dathan and Abiram, right? Their sin affected their whole family. The earth swallowed up their entire family. Their little kids just swallowed them up. You know, it's a principle in the word that we would do well to heed. Now, I need to comment on this. People sometimes see Adam eating the fruit, you know, as something that was really admirable. I mean, Adam didn't want to live without his wife, so he made a choice to join her in her, her condition. I mean, isn't that admirable? The problem is, that's not what the Bible says. <laughs> I mean, 1 Timothy 2.14, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Eve was genuinely deceived by the serpent. Adam just sinned knowing what was going on. There's nothing glorious about it, nothing glamorous or noble or admirable about it. Adam sinned, and that's why Paul says that sin and death came through Adam instead of saying it came through Eve. Verse 7, Then the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, you might recall last week, Genesis 2.25, when it says that they were both naked and the man and his wife were not ashamed. You might recall that when I was teaching that, I said that I didn't think they were naked in the sense that they were nude. It was naked in the sense that they were open. There was nothing hidden. They were transparent. Um, yeah, there was no secrets between the two of them. And I said, you know, that's the way uh, marriage should be, just honest and open. You know, they were uh, not naked probably because they were clothed with the righteousness of God. They were clothed in light. But this is a different word here in the Hebrew that's translated naked. This one means they were naked. They were nude. And they lost innocence. And all of a sudden, they were ashamed. Sin never delivers what it promises. Don't you know it? Sin never delivers what it promises. Sin never makes one wise. It makes you embarrassed, makes you ashamed, it just makes you sick. In fact, the devil is so twisted, he's so sick, he entices you to sin, and then when you give into it, he condemns you. Uh, he tells you, you know, it's going to be so great, just come on, let's just do it, have a good time, it's not going to be bad. But then when you fall, he says, how could you? What kind of Christian are you? You're so pathetic. In fact. God wants nothing to do with someone like you. Of course, that's not true. That's a lie. Here we read that Adam and Eve, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. Now, every time I read this verse, I laugh. We used to have a fig tree in our, in our yard. You ever touch the fig tree? I mean, it's like 80 grit sandpaper. I mean, why are you going to, of all the things, why are you sewing uh, fig leaves, putting them on your body. I mean, they're itchy, they're scratchy. I mean, your, sin's, your skin's all sensitive. I mean, it just makes me laugh because, you know what? Attempts at covering our sin never work. They're just dumb. Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Sin always produces shame. It always produces guilt. And it always causes you to run from God, seeking to hide from him. Verse 9, Then the Lord called, the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? You can learn something about a person's understanding of the Word of God on how they interpret this voice. So many people hear God as this um, saying, Adam, where are you? Like he's some type of arresting officer. Adam, freeze! You know, it's not true. I know God. You know God. You've heard his voice. He's gentle. He's tender. He's a loving heavenly father. He's loving you. What we read here is God's heart breaking. Adam, where are you? And it's not like God didn't know where they were. You know, God knows everything. You can't hide from God. Psalm 139, 7 and 8 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. You can't hide from God. You can't hide anything from God. God's not asking Adam, where are you? He's not asking to gain information. He's asking so Adam can face his sin and Adam can receive forgiveness. He wasn't asking Adam, hey, where are you? Because, you know, I don't see you. Where are you? No, he's asking Adam so that Adam would see where he is. So that Adam would see himself hiding from God. So that Adam would see himself outside of fellowship with God. I mean, God's so loving. I mean, have you ever been in any place where you just heard God's voice saying, hey, what are you doing here? What are you, what are you doing? I mean, I've heard it all the time. Gare, what are you doing? You know, he, he, he's loving us. You know, Jesus said the Son of Man, speaking of himself, came to seek and save the lost. And that's our God. That's our Savior. He's coming to seek and save the lost. God's not condemning. He's forgiving. And if we'll just see our situation for as it is and confess our sins, then you know what? He's going to restore us. Sin drives us from God in shame. And, and it causes us to experience guilt. But God wants to restore us. We're not to hide from God. You don't ever want to hide from Him. He loves you and He wants to cleanse you from your sin that separates you from Him. He wants to restore you. Verse 10 through 12. So He said, I heard your voice, Adam speaking. I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. I mean, it's so comical, isn't it? I mean, it's like watching little kids. And I'm telling you, this is much of marriage counseling today. I mean, you sit there, you listen to them. Hey, it's her fault. She did this and this and this. You know, I was doing just fine before. You know, she ever came along. 
And then you hear her say, you know, you have no idea what kind of jerk he is. I mean, he does X, he does Y, he does Z. It's all his fault. I mean, Adam blames God. I mean, talk about courage. He actually blames God. It's your fault because you gave her to me. You should have known what kind of trouble she was going to be. I mean, come on. I told you we were good, just you and me. You know, in one sentence, Adam puts himself three steps away from the guilt. It's not him. It's God because he gave him Eve, right? I mean, he just totally blame shifts right here. And again, blame shifting, it happens all the time. It's a result of the fall. And you hear it all the time. People say today, you know, it's not my fault. I drink because my parents were drunks. You know, it's, it's not my fault. I have this gene. I got it from my parent. You know, it's not my fault. I was raised in a dysfunctional family. You know, you can't blame me. But the reality is sin. Just call it for what it is, whatever you're engaged in, it's sin. You know what? Just come clean and let God forgive you. Be done with the excuses. Be done with the shame and be done with the guilt. Get over it. Confess it and be restored. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, that's who, the Satan, that's who Satan is. He's a deceiver. We see it here in Genesis and we see it in Revelation. We see it throughout the entire Bible. Revelation 12, 9 says, The devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a murderer and a destroyer. Verse 14 and 15, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Isn't it interesting to see here that the instrument of the devil shares in the judgment of the devil? You don't get away with anything. Verse 15, And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise her heel. Um, this is the first mention in the Bible of God's plan of redemption. The seed of the woman, capital S, speaks of a virgin birth. Because a woman doesn't have a seed. A woman uh, brings an ovum or an egg to the uh, conception table. It was also a promise to Eve that she had been forgiven. And the Lord would use women to bring the Savior into the world. It's actually beautiful. It's also a warning to believers. We need to understand that there's always going to be this conflict between the seed of the enemy, the children of the devil, and the seed of God. You know, the children of God. There's always going to be this conflict, this fight between them. And you know, the Bible reminds us of that. Hey, we don't fight against flesh and blood, right? We fight against the principalities, the powers, uh, the wicked hosts in high places, um, so Genesis 3:16, to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. I want you to circle in your Bible here, at least circle it in your mind. 
the words sorrow and pain. Isn't it interesting that sin, it promises pleasure. In fact, the Bible tells us that, you know what? Sin is pleasurable for a season, a very short season, but then it brings sorrow and pain. It brings pain, it brings sorrow, it brings separation, and it brings death. He said, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, the language here suggests that a woman will have this tendency or this desire to kind of exercise uh, leadership, to try to rule over her husband, to take the lead. And as I said earlier, listen, women could probably do a better job at leading than us men. But as a result of the fall, God has called men to be the head, to be the head of the household, to be the head of the family, to be the head of the church. And again, ultimately, he's the head and we're accountable to him and women are accountable to men. As a result of the fall, there would be this friction, this says, to, uh, between men and women in uh, a marriage relationship. Then to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife. See, that's the problem right there. Okay. Adam listened to his wife. That's the problem. Of course, you know, I'm just kidding. Okay. Before um, you write any letters, I'm just kidding. If you feel compelled to write a letter, please. My name's Brian Larson. Address it, care of uh, truth to his word. And... I'm just, I'm just kidding. Uh, the, point, the point here is if you would listen to anybody that would counsel you to go do anything, to engage in any sin, to, to do anything contrary to the word of God, you're a fool if you listen to them. Don't do it. There is going to be consequences for disobedience. Then to Adam, he said, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, but out of it, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Work is not the result of the curse. You know, we, we talked about last week how work is a blessing from God, where God gives Adam a job in the, in the garden to tend it. He gave mankind purpose in work. The curse is that we would have to work hard to provide for our families. The things wouldn't come easily. It would take work. It would take sweat. It would take toil. It would take pain. Verse 20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, this verse shows us that Adam believed God's promises of a coming Redeemer. The fall brought forth or brought death, but Adam calls Eve here. He calls her Eve, which means living or life. He believes God's promises. Adam is embracing God's promises here and he's acting upon them uh, in faith. Verse 21, 
Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skins and clothed them. Here we have the first picture of the innocent dying for the guilty. The shedding of innocent blood to cover the sins of the guilty. And this is a foreshadow of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. I mean, what is being talked about here is a him for me trade. He takes my sin, I receive his righteousness. I mean, talk about a sweet deal. I mean, that is the greatest thing in the world. Verse 22 20 through 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. <clears throat> so he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. We talked about this last week again, or uh, yeah, last week again, where... We see that plural pronoun, us, speaking of the Trinity of God, another illusion in the Old Testament of the triunity of the Godhead. But it says that he drove man out. Here we see the result of sin. This is a, a fulfillment of what God said when he said, in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Spiritual death is separation from God. Adam and Eve died spiritually when they took of the fruit. And they were separated from God. Their, their sin separated them from God. They were no longer enjoying that intimate closeness that they once had with God. Sin always brings shame. Sin always brings embarrassment. It makes you want to hide from God instead of running to God. And how I love the mercy of God displayed here. The love of God is, is so beautiful because he demonstrates it here in that he didn't want Adam to partake of the tree of life lest he should live forever in a sinful condition. The way of the tree of life, he put the cherubim there to guard it, not to keep man out because even though it was guarded, it was open to us through the cross of Calvary. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that you may know that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Jesus is the way to that tree of life. He is the way to eternal life. He is eternal life. You know what I find crazy about chapter 3? And I, I think this is so beautiful. Three chapters into the Bible. Here we are, Genesis chapter 3, and we see the devil. This is the first time we see the devil mentioned in the Bible. And then in Revelation chapter 20, three chapters before the end of the Bible, that's the last time we see the devil. In Adam 
we die. In Christ, we live. It was through Adam that we died and were separated from God. But through Jesus Christ, we're born again. We, we endure, enjoy a spiritual rebirth and we're reconciled to God through it. And in this chapter, we see curse. We see death, toil, sweat, thorns, trees, struggles. We see the seed. And all these things are traced back to Jesus Christ. He was the last Adam that became a curse for us. He sweated great drops of blood there when he was in the garden in, in bitter agony. It was Jesus that, that wore that crown of thorns and was hung on the tree and he, and he died. It was Jesus who was separated from the Father so that we would never have to experience that. And it was Jesus who died and was placed in the dust of death. And it's Jesus who bids us to come to him and experience new life. If you're not a believer today, I just ask you, what's holding you back? What's holding you back to giving your sin to Jesus and receiving his righteousness, being declared not guilty in the miracle of the moment, experiencing a spiritual rebirth, becoming a new creation, never having to face God's judgment about those sins that you've committed. What's holding you back? What is so important that you wouldn't want to just right now confess your sin and, and receive relief, receive refreshing like we talked about last Sunday from the penalty of sin, just to have that weight of guilt and shame lifted from you. I just want to encourage you, if you're not a believer right now, bow your heart and in the sincerity of your heart, ask Jesus to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. He promises that he'll hear that prayer. He promises that he'll come into your life and change your life. But it has to be done in sincerity. You have to want it. He's not going to force himself on you. You have to come to him and he'll happily receive you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the insights that we receive in your word. I thank you that you tell us not to be ignorant of the the devices or the wiles, the schemes of the devil. And then you just lay him out for us. This is the way he is. This is what he does. You know, the devil's a, a kind of a, if it's not broke, don't fix kind of guy. It works till it works, stops working. There's no need to change. And so, Lord, you lay out to us those tactics that he uses. Lord, because you love us, because you care for us. Lord, I just pray for anybody out there that doesn't know you, Lord, that you would speak to their heart right now and, and just let them know how much you love them and let them know how, how willing you are to accept them, how you don't condemn them, how you want to forgive them, how you want to take them and adopt them into your family so that they can look into your eyes and say, Daddy, how they can receive the love that they've always wanted, the love that you have for them, Lord. I just pray you move on their hearts and they would just bow their knee and, and confess their sin and ask you to come in. Lord, for Calvary Chapel Truckee, Lord, would you make us men and women of the word? Would you make us men and women 
that are quick to see the, the tactics of the enemy and run to a brother, run to a sister, run to our moms, our dads, whatever the case may be, and, and just pray and stand together? Would you just help us to be men and women like Aaron and her that raised Moses' arms and saw the victory? Lord, would you just make us a church that is, that is committed to following after you? Lord, that is wise, Lord, to follow after you, to be obedient to your word, Lord. I ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, if you prayed and asked Jesus to come into your heart, I want to encourage you. Hey, give us a call. I'll sit down with you. I'll talk with you. I'll hand you a Bible. I'll answer questions. Again, don't want anything from you, but just want to help you with just to, to know the Lord, to grow in your walk with Him, and just enjoy what this life with Jesus is, is all about. For Calvary Chapel Truckee, I love you guys. I'm praying for you guys. Hey, be praying for our office, the build-up. Be praying that COVID will be lifted soon so we all can meet together. I can't wait for that day. Amen. I love you. God bless.